second part or second in our series into First Samuel. So why don't you pray for our time and then we'll Let's do it. dive in. Let's come before the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. We thank you for Aaron and what he's prepared this morning. We ask that you enable him to communicate clearly what's on his heart. But we also ask for our hearts that you would uh, prepare us to hear your word and to respond. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that we need you to speak through your word every time. And it's only through that that we're able to respond to you. So would you make our hearts sensitive and responsive to your voice and to the invitation to relationship and to a yes in our hearts. And so we come before you this morning. Would you move uh, as we are gathered and as we hear your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Sir. You guys have a good week? Yes? Wow, that was very, uh, that was a solid yes. I mean, it's not a huge deal, but um, I graduated my first child from high school. I was lying, that's a huge deal. We're pretty excited. It's been a fun, festive week. Um, I want to mention a couple of things, actually, before I jump in. Uh, we had, so you guys know that we don't own this building. You guys have heard that rumor, yeah. Um, I have had my kids ask over the years why, why we're attending basketball games at church. <laughs> um, in, the, in the past, or in the last week, actually including today, um, our, our sort of extended team, our, which means kind of staff and volunteer teams that help make this space happen every Sunday, have also uh, facilitated the high school graduation and three different memorials uh, this week. A lot of that happens sort of behind the scenes um, in ways that most of you would not know about or see, but uh, I'm just so thankful for the many sacrifices that our team and our volunteers make to serve various members of our community. Um, uh, and honestly, members of our community that are not even connected to Church on the Rock, but this has actually been a big week for our team of volunteers, and so I just want to give them a round of applause. <clears throat> um, one other thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know if she's here, um, but uh, Andrea Rainwater has served in our office at Church on the Rock Homer for uh, a number of years, and uh, actually two weeks ago, we didn't have service last weekend, so two weeks ago uh, was her last week. Uh, Dan and her are stepping into a new chapter, and so that included uh, stepping out of her position uh, at Church on the Rock as our office manager, and uh, even if she's not in the room, will someone pass on a congratulations to her? Would you guys give it up for Andrea Rainwater? <laughs> um, she's just been such a great, uh, steady, faithful, uh, gentle <laughs> presence uh, in our office, and we're just so thankful for her contribution over the last few years. And uh, Annie Guess, who was previously our project manager, is going to be taking on her role. So she's going to be taking both of those roles, and we're excited to have uh, Annie grow in her capacity. Uh, she's been a phenomenal asset to our church body. So 
Um, what else do I want to talk about before we teach? Oh, there's one other thing I do want to mention. Uh, you guys know Jonathan Walker. Many of you do. He's a friend of mine, uh, co-founder of Church on the Rock here in Homer. Was here, him and I co-pastored together for five years. He's up in the valley now. Um, and then you may or may not be familiar with uh, the Alliance Christian Fellowship Church in Eagle River, ACF Eagle River. Um, the pastor there, Brian Cook, is a good friend of Jonathan and I. Uh, in fact, the three of us have been uh, communicating quite a bit the last couple of weeks. Um, we have been talking for years about uh, doing a retreat for pastors in Homer, uh, in part because Homer is the best place on earth, and in part because pastors need a retreat. And so we're actually going to, uh, we decided several months ago to pull the trigger um, for this summer, uh, actually at the end of July. So we're going to be using Alaska Bible Institute, uh, the dormitories there, and we're going to do uh, basically a Monday through Friday retreat, not a conference, not a, not a workshop, but a retreat for pastors. And we're actually bringing in a couple of people that have been my mentors over the years who are like pro-level uh, executive leadership coaches uh, to do one-on-one -on -one sessions with pastors that want to be able to attend. Um, and so uh, we've been working on this plan actually for a few months. Uh, the reason I, I mention it now is that uh, singularly the, the, the prohibitive factor for a pastor to be able to attend something like that is always cost. Um, I want to put this out to you. Uh, this is actually not a request for Church on the Rock uh, for our sake. But if you're interested in helping a pastor or two come for a week-long retreat, uh, we're planning uh, some outings to enjoy the outdoors, of course, do some fishing, um, spend some time in fellowship and worship and prayer together. Uh, but if you, wanna, if you wanted to put a little money towards enabling a pastor to attend a retreat in Homer for their own refreshment, just come and talk to me personally. There's no website or link or anything. Just come and find me and say, hey, I would love to contribute towards that to help pastors attend. And I will, uh, I will channel that in the right direction. Any questions? No? Good? Awesome. Okay. First Samuel, chapter 3, the Bible, the Word of God. Are you ready? I feel like I should pray one more time. Should we pray one more time? Yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's bring our attention to the Lord again. God, we look to you. We look to your word. Would we be the ones who hear the stories and, and allow your word to to get through the many defenses that we have built up around our own hearts, whether intentionally or unintentionally. God, would you, through the, the softening work of your Holy Spirit, uh, would you give us responsive hearts, give us ears to hear from you, We just come before you now. I ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to tell you the story of 1 Samuel chapter 3. For some of you, uh, it'll be somewhat of a familiar story. This is one of those stories that's kind of like a, if you grew up in Sunday school, 
uh, attending church Sunday school. You've heard this story before. Um, but I want to I want to uh, explain what I believe to be an important foundation before I tell you the story um, that should give you some context because it's actually a very sort of sweet, cute story in the Sunday school version. But the Sunday school version of the story actually, um, in large part, has left out, and I don't say that as a criticism, you know, five-year-olds can only handle so much national political intrigue, Uh, but some of that has been left out of the Sunday school version of the story. And so I want to offer you this sort of foundation, that the story I'm going to tell you, this account in 1 Samuel, is a national political history So this is intended, the story is intended to tell you the the national sort of political heritage of a particular ethnic group, the Israelites. This is a story of a certain group of people, a certain ethnic group, the Jews, and their uh, national political formation. This is an origin story. 1 Samuel is an origin story. Um, which is like a thing now, right? With, uh, you know, there was Batman the movie and then there's Batman Beginnings or something like that, right? You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> this is a story about a, a, a particular ethnic group's sort of national political formation, but inner, inevitably interwoven into the story is also their social and religious formation, right? So you can't talk about a a certain country's history, uh, their sort of political formation without including, in this case particularly, their, their religious formation or their spiritual formation. So that's the sort of the grand scale. This is why you're hearing this story. How did this nation come to be? Uh, what were the events that transpired? Now here's the story. And this is the crazy part. So we're setting up this big story about the formation of a nation, and we're actually telling a very small story. Remember two weeks ago, Matt talked about it, about a very sad woman who couldn't have kids. Isn't that interesting? Like, that's the origin story of the birth of the the nation of the people of God, or one of the stories. So Hannah had a son, you remember? His name, he named him Samuel. She had been barren. Uh, It was very awkward at home, and uh, she finally had a child, and she had committed to dedicate this child to the Lord's service as soon as he was old enough to be independent. She had brought him to the temple to serve under Eli uh, in the temple of God from a very young age. Now, we know there's a couple of details offered if you you read through, and again, uh, I, I so encourage you guys, don't, don't leave the story to Sunday morning. You should dive into the story during the week. There's so many rich details that I'm not covering here this morning. But one of the details is that Hannah actually went on to have several more kids. She had three more sons and two more daughters. So she went on to have a family. And yet each year, as had been their custom, they would return to the city of Shiloh where the tabernacle was where Eli was and where Samuel was. And each year that they would come uh, to offer sacrifices there as a family, they would visit with their oldest son, Samuel, and mom would bring him a custom-sewn linen ephod. This is when you all go, aww. She brought him a little priest outfit every year that he wore in his uh, service uh, at the tabernacle. 
So the story of 1 Samuel 3 is actually uh, Samuel as a young boy. It says that there was, there was a particular evening where uh, all of the, the daily duties had been accomplished. Eli had actually laid down, but the lamp, which would have uh, essentially burned until it expired, had not yet expired in the tabernacle. And so there's a little bit of light. Samuel had also uh, lain down for the night. And uh, just before falling asleep, he heard his name called Samuel. Samuel. And so um, my hunch is, is that there had probably been previous occasions uh, knowing that, that uh, Eli was, was quite old. In fact, it tells us shortly after this that he was 98. Um, and so he was probably in his mid to late 90s at this point. It probably been previous times where Eli had called for Samuel's help. Uh, and so he jumps out of bed and he runs into Samuel's room uh, which I have trained my kids very well not to do. Uh, but he went into Samuel's room and he said, uh, yes, what is it that you need? And Eli said, oh, I didn't, I didn't call you. Uh, you can go back to bed. And so Samuel went back to bed, laid his head on his pillow, and he hears his name called again. Samuel, Samuel. I'm pretty sure that's Eli calling me. And so uh, he returns to find Eli, and Eli says, I, I didn't call you. Okay, so Samuel goes back to bed, lays his head on his pillow, third time, Samuel, Samuel. And so Samuel returns to Eli again, which, let's commend his persistence, right? He returns to Eli again and says, okay, this time I'm pretty sure you definitely did call me. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Uh, but in a moment of perception, uh, to Eli's credit, in a moment of perception, he, it dawns on him what, has, what is happening, that uh, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, is for the first time, in a special way, reaching out to Samuel to have a conversation with him. Um, in fact, reaching out in such a, a tangible way that, that that Samuel heard it with his ears. And so Eli says, ah, I think I know what's happening. I think the Lord is the one trying to get your attention. And so let's test that theory. Um, go back to your bed, and if you hear your name called again, instead of coming to me in response, uh, why don't you just uh, tell the Lord that you're listening? Which, by the way, and this is just a freebie, that's a great thing to do on your pillow at night, anytime. When you're just about to fall asleep and you've laid your head on your pillow, just tell the Lord, I'm listening, if there's anything that you would want to say. It's a great exercise. First Samuel 3, beginning in verse 11, and the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am going to do a thing in Israel and both ears of everyone who hears about it will ring. Uh, some translations say will, uh, it will tickle both ears of everyone who hears it. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything that I have spoken in regards to his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am going to judge his house forever for the wrongdoing 
that he knew because his sons were bringing a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the wrongdoing of Eli's house shall never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And Samuel replied, "Um, that feels a little heavy for a first time. Samuel experienced uh, something that is common to everyone's childhood. You know what I'm talking about. I hope that mom or dad don't remember what we talked about tonight in the morning. As a parent, I have said to my children many times, we're going to revisit this in the morning, right? Which is really me saying, I'm too tired to deal with this now. I can't even think of a great consequence because I'm exhausted. But tomorrow, I'm going to be refreshed, inspired, and I'm going to be full of ideas as to how to deal with your behavior, right? So let's revisit it tomorrow. And if you've ever been a child, you know what it's like to go to sleep and hope that this conversation is forgotten tomorrow. Samuel goes to sleep and thinks, well, Eli's old. Maybe he won't remember. So they woke up the next morning. Chapter 3, verse 17, and he said, Samuel, what did the Lord tell you last night? Please do not hide it from me. May God do to the same to you and more so if you hide a single word from me of all of the words that he spoke to you. Isn't that interesting? May God do the same to you. The same as what? Eli knows it was bad news. And so Samuel not wanting those things done to him, told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So some time went by. The Philistines showed up. They're a neighboring uh, ethnic group, a neighboring tribal group. The Philistines showed up and decided, hey, let's uh, take some stuff from the Israelites. Let's take their property. Let's take their belongings. Let's see if we can uh, gain some dominance over them. And so they had a bit of a skirmish, and uh, much to their dismay, it says that 4,000 men of Israel, fighting men of Israel, were killed in a skirmish. This was very alarming to them. Uh, in fact, it says that they, they, after that initial skirmish and that loss, they, they sort of rebanded, they came together. Um, it says in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 3, when the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Ooh, uh, I know. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. So let's go down to Shiloh where Eli is. Let's get the Ark and let's bring it with us into battle so that we will have power over our enemies. It's really fascinating. Uh, it's a very mechanical approach to uh, what we're going to see is a, is a more fundamental spiritual issue that is leading to their defeat. Uh, 
<clears throat> Maybe the problem was is that God wasn't close enough to the battle to see what was going on. So let's get him closer so that he can see and be attentive and help us win. And then the Philistines heard this. So they went and got the ark. They brought it into the Israelite camp and the Israelites all cheered. Yay! And the Philistines went, I wonder what they're cheering about. Someone should go check. So they sent someone over. Someone came back and they said, so you remember that box thing that they have that they carry with them? You know that box thing that wiped out all those other people that they fought? They've got the box thing with them. And the Philistines, it says, were filled with dread. And they were like, oh no. They've got the God with the box thing with them. We're doomed. Which actually served to very much sort of invigorate their efforts because they realize this isn't just a skirmish anymore. Our existence is on the line. So we're going to fight like our existence is on the line. And so they reconvene the battle and the, the, the Israelites are very confident and the Philistines are almost sure that they're going to be defeated and are fighting for their very survival. And it says that the Philistines obliterated the Israelites. In fact, it says that 40,000, or sorry, 30,000 Israelite soldiers were killed in that battle. You realize that's more than the adult male population on the Kenai Peninsula. That's a significant loss. Remember, we're talking about a national political history Not only were 30,000 fighting men killed, Eli's two sons were killed. And, and, the Philistines took the ark. They took the box, the God box. When Eli heard the news, and we're going to look at this in a little more detail next week, when Eli heard the news of the defeat, the death of his sons, and the capture of the ark. He fell over in his chair and broke his neck and died. Now you know why they left that part out in Sunday school. So I wanna, I want to I provide you with three um, sort of uh, connected observations about this story. Because again, remember, the Word of God is written for, uh, for your instruction, for the instruction of your heart, to help you understand who He is, who we are, and how we are in relationship with Him. <clears throat> There's one statement um, that I want to draw your attention to. Actually, I think I forgot to read this earlier. Damon, can you back up all the way to like the first scripture slide? I, I don't think I read this. This is a really important um, little uh, caveat here or little uh, descriptor. It says at the beginning of this story, it says, now the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. That's an interesting sort of uh, cultural assessment or social assessment. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. 
The word of the Lord was rare and visions were infrequent. The first thing I want to do is unpack why that was. Have you ever had a time where you felt like just in your own life the word of the Lord was rare? Two of you, sweet. You're going to love this next part. Look at the backstory. So you remember, Samuel, Samuel received this sort of uh, description of very bad uh, coming events from the Lord. Uh, it sounded like they were coming events that there was no way they could sort of apologize their way out of, inevitable events that were very negative. But I want to jump back into chapter 2 and give you a little bit of the background information for chapter 3, this story. 1 Samuel 2, I'm going to pick a couple of verses. Uh, now, the sons of Eli were useless men, and they did not know the Lord. These are the men that are serving in the role of priest. Now, there's certain things that you want said about you when it's your time to go. This is not one of those. They were useless. It goes on. The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord disrespectfully, and it explains what that meant. What happened was, is the way that the priests got their livelihood is people would bring a sacrifice, and uh, they would present it before the Lord and burn off the fat of the sacrifice, uh, sometimes they would boil the sacrifice and the priest would take a big stabbing fork, uh, pitchfork, and stick it in and pull out some meat for the, the priest to eat and him and his family. That's how the system worked. Uh, what it says these guys were doing is before any of that happened, someone would bring, uh, let's say, a lamb uh, in to be sacrificed, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, the two sons of Eli would take that lamb and they would say, actually, before you do anything with the lamb, uh, we would like the rump roast uh, before you make the sacrifice. And anyone with any knowledge of the sacrificial system and a conscience would say, hey, that's not, that's not how you're supposed to do that. Uh, we're supposed to offer it to the Lord and then you take the leftovers. It's interesting that God told them always to burn the fat off before the priests ate it. Um, guys, it actually says that when Eli fell over and broke his neck, it says it because he was too heavy. How did he get heavy? He was taking the fat off of the sacrifices for years and years and years and years in disobedience to God. It says that the sons would tell the, the, whoever was coming to bring the sacrifice, he'd say, we're going to take the ideal cuts of the meat, and if the person protested that, they would take it by force. These are the religious leaders. Now Eli was very old, and he heard about everything that his sons were doing to all Israel, and they slept with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why are you doing such things as these, the evil things that I hear from all of these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. Eli's sons, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, the religious leaders, the replacements for Eli, 
were ignoring the calling of God on their lives. First, they were entirely self-serving in their ministry. They ignored the principle of first fruits, of always honoring the Lord with the first and the best of what I have, and instead, they honored themselves by taking for themselves the first and the best of what they had. They wanted the good stuff for themselves, and they used their platform as the priest in order to get it for themselves. God was given the leftovers, the remainder. Secondly, they had embraced sexual immorality. In other words, they were bound up by their earthly appetites. These were not men who knew the presence of God and the power of God. These were not men who were committed to the purposes of God. These were men serving themselves, serving their appetites from a position of spiritual and religious leadership. And the story tells us that Eli confronted them, they ignored him, and so he ignored their evil. That's the sequence of events. He became aware of what they were doing. We know from the story additionally that he, Eli was mostly blind, that he was somewhat immobile. He heard the reputation of his sons. He confronted his sons. His sons blew him off and said, it doesn't matter, and he chose to allow that to continue. Do you understand that when, when Samuel heard the vision from the Lord, he was hearing what God had already told Eli. There was no new information. Eli already knew that trouble was on the way. God had already told him that judgment was pending. What God spoke to Samuel was simply a confirmation. Verse 13, for I have told him, remember this is God speaking to Samuel, for I have told Eli that I am going to judge his house forever for the wrongdoing that he knew about because his sons were bringing a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. This is why the word of the Lord is rare. The word of the Lord is rare, is most rare, when we are least responsive. You ever had that where you're like, you know God's telling you to do something and you really don't want to do it? And you spend a period of time trying to change the conversation? What's the next thing that you would like me to do? Because I don't want to do that last thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Try to sort of maybe skirt around, let's, let's deal with that later, maybe, or never. God had confronted Eli. Eli had ignored the word of the Lord, and so the word of the Lord was rare. What's, what's the value of new information? when you haven't responded to the previous information. I would offer to you this morning that if the word of the Lord is rare in your life, I would suggest two things. First, deal with the last thing that God mentioned. Go back, readdress it, 
say yes to him. And the second thing I would suggest is give someone permission to say the hard things. Eli received the word of the Lord from a little boy that was under his employ. And how did he receive that word of the Lord from that young boy? He went to Samuel and said, I want you to tell me exactly what you know. Too many times we disqualify too many people from being able to speak into our lives in regards to hard things. Well, I could talk to this person, but they're a little weird. I could talk to that person, but they're also kind of strange. And I could talk to that person, but I don't like this about them. And so I guess no one's able to speak to me on behalf of the Lord. I would suggest just find someone who seems to at least hear from the Lord somewhat and go and ask the question. Have you heard anything from the Lord on my behalf? Ask your spouse that question. Ask your children that question. The word of the Lord is most rare when we are least responsive. The second observation is this. Repentance is not an escape from consequence. Verse 14, God says, Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the wrongdoing of Eli's house shall never be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering. In other words, there are consequences in motion that cannot be reversed at this point. This is a very technical point about repentance, which we talked about for several weeks, but I want to hit on this again. The sin was, the sin was that they loved themselves more than they loved God. Right? That was the problem. They loved their own appetites and feeding their own appetites. Repentance cannot be a transactional tool that I utilize to further save myself and avoid painful and natural consequences, which is a child's view of repentance, right? That if I say I'm sorry and I seem convincing, can we avoid the the fallout of the coming consequences? That's also self-serving. True repentance is not a pathway to avoiding consequences. True repentance is the acknowledgement that I was pursuing this when I could have been pursuing God. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want him. He is the treasure. He is the prize. And even if it costs me to make that turn towards him, even if it costs me dearly, he is worth it. Sometimes in repentance, we only further reveal our ongoing self-centeredness and disobedience. And when it doesn't prove to be worth it, we say, what's the point of repenting if I don't get anything tangible or meaningful out of the deal? The prize of repentance is always Jesus. Repentance is saying yes to him and is oftentimes motivated, not just by his kindness, but the disaster that I have in my wake as a result of me pursuing my own selfish gain. Repentance is not an escape from consequence. And third point, and this is the harder one for me, because of the commentary on spiritual leadership. A nation's political downfall is the unavoidable outcome of its spiritual downfall. Remember, we're telling a national political history. You realize the economic and social 
consequences, the political consequences of losing 34,000 young men from your community. That's a long-lasting set of consequences on families, on finances, and not to mention they are now owned by the Philistines. And yet the story shouts to us They do not, first and foremost, have a political problem. They have a spiritual problem. And it is a spiritual problem that is being promulgated from the leadership. This is a reoccurring theme through 1 Samuel. The priest of God is meant to show God to the people, to bring the two together, to facilitate relationship and fellowship between the two. That's what a priest does. A priest is a middleman. You want to know God? I have fantastic news. He wants to know you, and he's given me the very noble assignment of introducing the two of you on proper terms. That's what a priest does. Pretty cool assignment, right? And yet these priests were completely consumed by their own pursuits. And the nation followed their lead. A painful, brutal, broad consequence stemming from the sin of a few. It would wreak havoc on an entire generation of the people of Israel. And here's where you come in. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people. Peter's talking to you. Peter's talking to Church on the Rock Homer in Homer, Alaska, May 22nd, 2022. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A people for God's own possession so that you, through your lives, in, in, in directing your affections towards God, may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have an identity. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are the ones in the new covenant who are called to show God to the people to bring the two parties together, to facilitate relationship and fellowship in the way that you live and lead your own life. By living a life of love for him, which motivates loving others, not serving yourself, you declare the glory of God and the love of God to the world. When those who are called as priests first serve themselves and abandon God, the consequences are always very dire. 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. If you have any dissatisfaction with the way the world is, Let them see Jesus 
through your own heart that has been transformed by his love. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to end with a little story. Actually, uh, hey, Damon, I need my, the phone that's underneath my laptop right there real quick. There's something on there I need for this story. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Scott. Uh, last week, we did serve the city, and... Um, oh, no. I gotta power my... Oh, it's not dead. I just powered it off. Whew. We did serve the city, and there was a number of different projects going on, uh, but um, one of the projects was happening down at the at our headquarters at the Rock, and that was uh, uh, baskets prepared for people in our community who have uh, suffered significant loss in the last year and a half. Really, very cool. In fact, I, Drew mentioned this earlier, but. Different individuals took time to pray for those people as they were preparing those baskets with handwritten notes just to say, hey, we care about you. Um, well, um, one of the... Uh, actually, I'm just going to tell you the name. Um, Nikki Sosha had an idea, um, turned out to be really inspired. So you guys, I'm sure, are aware of sort of the continuing story of the discoveries regarding Duffy and her uh, just tragic demise. things that you may not be as familiar with is the number of families connected to that story in very um, difficult and unfortunate ways. Not by any decision of their own, but connected to the story. And um, Sosha thought, hey, I know one of those families personally. What do you guys think about us doing a basket for them? Not someone that's part of Church on the Rock. And the team said, yeah, let's do that. This was last week. So I got this text on Sunday afternoon. And actually, the text message says to tell you, so I'm not, there's no confidence breach here. Although I did not ask Nikki if I could talk about her, because she probably would have said no. Aaron. Mike Heimlich here. Today's outreach from Church on the Rock 
really emotional for Annie and I and our family. Nikki Sosha came over with a basket that could not have been filled with more care and compassion. It is perhaps a testament to me not yet having dementia that I was able to correctly spell and look up your cell phone number. If you would, please pass along to all congregation members that remember me that the testimony of your love of God in the form of service to your fellow man is the high water mark of this earthly life. So good. And so simple, right? In the context of all of the madness that is our world, you are a royal priesthood called and empowered by God to show him to the world around you. And when believers own that assignment, social and community transformation is the outcome. It's a beautiful thing. Would you guys stand? We have a couple of ways you can respond. We're going to worship the Lord together and celebrate his goodness. I encourage you to open your heart to him as we do so. Uh, we have communion. You can take communion uh, during our time of worship as an act of worship. It's an expression, a tangible expression of our dependence on him, his body, his blood in us. That is our life. We'll have a couple of people on our prayer team available. If you would like someone to pray with you for any reason, you can do that uh, while we worship. You can also give during this time, but let's come before the Lord and uh, meet with him together. Amen. Guys, today is the day to respond to the Lord. If he's moving on your heart through this time, if you want to respond, you can grab a friend next to you, pray together. Also, the prayer team's going to be available if you want to take some time to respond. Um, tonight, we don't have house church. We don't have anything else. We have summer. We get to enjoy summer together. Um, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, come find uh, any of the staff. We have something for you to help out. Um, and I do want to say, we don't officially end at 1230. Um, we've had a lot of stuff going on this week with the setup and Teardown team. So if you wouldn't mind sticking around just a little bit extra, uh, helping Teardown here and especially in First Look and 252, that would be really helpful. Love you guys. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless.